Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you here today. I'm glad you made it out. Um, we are, uh, I, I, I'm saying this to you every week, and so uh, you're just either going to have to zone out or get used to it. Um, but we are at, in a very special time here, and uh, I am so excited about what we are doing uh, here at Sonoma Avenue. And and what we're doing is we've been introducing uh, to you uh, the vision that we believe, the leadership here believes that God has led us to. And so it starts with our vision statement at the top, which says, let's read it together. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. Uh, this is true for all of us who are in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus changes us, but he doesn't change just one thing about us. What does he change? He changes everything. He changes everything about me, and he does it all the time in ways that I understand and in ways that I don't understand, in ways that I see coming and in ways that I don't realize even happened until sometimes months later. But my story is changed because of my knowledge of the love of God in Jesus. Whatever my story would have been otherwise or before, it is changed to this, that I am a sinner who desperately needs a Savior. But God loves me. And Jesus died so that I would not have to carry the burden and weight of my sin. And he rose so that my sin would no longer have any hold or claim on me. And who I am now, after having accepted the love of God in Jesus, is different than who I could have ever been in any other way, shape, form, or place. And I am grateful for that. Are you grateful for that? Amen. That God has changed who we are. And we believe that as a church, God changes us as a church. That, that we, uh, the love of God in Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way that we understand God. It changes the way we act and speak and the way that we treat other people. The love, in God, the love of God in Jesus changes the way that we uh, look at the needs of others, that they don't just need a friend, but they need to meet Jesus also. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And that led us to uh, our values, the things that we are, are holding up. We want these things to guide us to be principles that we live by here as a church, the things that we want to make sure we're doing really well. And the first value was, you're all looking up on the screen behind me, which is totally cheating. The first value is belong. Jesus changes the way that we experience community. The community of Christ is different than any other community you can be a part of because it knows the love of God in Jesus. We are a family that accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. We want to be a community that accepts people, a place where people are encouraged, a place where people are in partnership and are held accountable so that they can walk this life with Jesus and where they can always find help to grow in the way that God is stretching them. And our second value is, in fact, that, to grow. 
that Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Now, we talked about this a lot last week, that this may be uh, one of the most important things in this process, that, w- that we change the way we see ourselves. Who are we? We are imperfect people. In every moment, in everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. This need defines us, but it does not discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. And the passage we use to talk about this is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn over there, uh, but I'll read it here for you today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And what is the image that is given to us here in the book of Ephesians? That we are growing into something, but what is that something that we are growing into? We are growing into who? To Jesus, right? Jesus is a pretty awesome dude being the Son of God and our Savior and all. So if we are growing into becoming Jesus, when are we ever going to be finished growing? We're not. We are never going to be finished growing. We are perpetually becoming what God wants us to be. And we believe that whatever change God brings us is going to take us to the next step that He wants for us Not that we want for ourselves, church, but that he wants for us. And so we talked about four lessons last week that we learned from the life of Peter. Number one, whatever you believe you are capable of, Jesus is more capable. Number two, even if you are following God and doing what he wants you to do, you are constantly in danger of putting yourself back before him. Number three, the more you rely on God and put yourself aside, the more God is able to do through you. And number four, no matter what you have done or accomplished for God, God has somewhere else for you to go. Something needs to grow, and you are never done growing. Now, I don't know how you feel about all this information as we have been talking about it over the last several weeks, uh, but this excites me. It really does. Uh, I am more excited about this than I've been in uh, about something in a really long time. Uh, And so last week, we asked you to uh, pray about two different things. The first one was, God, what do you want to change in me? And the second one was, God, what do you want to change in us as a church? Now, those prayers are challenging prayers, aren't they? And this morning, uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what these prayers have meant to me and uh, where I believe God uh, is leading us at this time. So let's pray together in this moment. Let's pray these prayers again. Let's ask God to be here with us. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that you change us into something good. For every change you have for us, Father, is good. 
God, we want to see ourselves clearly and to know what you want to change in us. Both as individuals that are sitting here, uh, touched by your love and grace, and as a church that wants to reach out to this world for you. Father, will you help us to know that you have good things planned for us and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. All right, please be seated. It's time to dismiss our kids to Children's Church. Um, And the information is right behind those clouds on the screen. It's going to come any second now. There it is. Five-year-olds through sixth grade are upstairs. Three- and four-year-olds are in a classroom off the back hall. And birth through two years old are in the nursery. So, um, as you know, we have been uh, introducing our our vision statement and all the values that uh, we want to live by and uphold. And um, I was working all week long on getting my sermon together for this week and to introduce to you the next value. And um, it wouldn't come. The, the sermon wouldn't come. And so I was like, well, I'll work on it some more tomorrow. And it still wouldn't come. And I said, I'll work on it more tomorrow. And so then it's Saturday. And I'm still working on it. And I'm... I'm, I'm struggling, yeah, so you can go home, Virgil, yes. <laughs> I was struggling with, with this because I understood everything I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. It just wouldn't, just wouldn't come out. And um, I got, it was 6 o'clock last night, and I, I said another prayer over what I was doing, and I had a realization, which was God wanted me to talk about something different today than what I was actually trying to write. So we're going to get back to it next week. Uh, what, we, what I do have to share with you this morning is something that is very applicable, however, uh, to what we've been talking about. Uh, and God has been putting certain things in my heart that I really want to share with you. Um, so we'll get back to our third value next week. There were two things, again, last week that I asked you to start praying about Uh, Things that I wanted you to ask God. And the first one was, God, what do you want to change in me? And the second one was, God, what do you want to change in us as a church? And the reason, of course, why I asked you to pray those prayers is because of the vision statement that we have presented to you. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And if this is what we believe, then those prayers that I asked you to pray become very important in helping us to understand what it is that God actually wants to do in us. Right? I mean, we can't just sit in a room and, and brainstorm about what Suzanne should change about herself. I mean, she would really enjoy the experience, I'm sure, uh, all of us telling her what she should change. But... There's something that, that we need to understand here about this is that this is a conversation between us and who? And God. 
But they are difficult prayers, and they're difficult because if we ask God what he wants to change in us, he might actually show us something. And if he shows us something, then what do we do? I've had so many good conversations over the last week about this very thing, some after church, some on the phone uh, throughout the week. And, and one person said to me, you know, I'm afraid of this prayer because what if God tells me to go to Africa? I don't want to go to Africa. And there's something, uh, there's something to that question. What if God tells me to do something and I don't want to do it or I don't know how to do it or I don't feel like I'm capable of making the change that God has shown to me? So we asked you to pray and we asked you to listen and then we asked you to do a third thing, which is to wait. To Ask God to listen to what he might say, but to wait for him to say something to you. We as a church, through this process, though we are presenting to you vision and values, the leadership of this church is very much right now in the process of waiting on God. Now, there is a whole biblical theology about waiting on God. It's a thing that actually I wasn't totally aware of before. I mean, I understood the concept and I've heard it, you know, I've heard a lot in the Psalms or in other places, but there is a really strong concept behind waiting on God. But waiting for God to change something may be the hardest thing you have done spiritually in a long time. It would be like going to the doctor because you think you might have cancer and they run a test to see if you might have cancer. And then what do they do? We'll get back to you as soon as we have the results. And then what do you have to do? Wait. And it's the worst in these kinds of situations, right? Where you are really hoping for good news. I really hope that it's not this. But in the back of your mind the whole time, what are you thinking? It's going to be this. It's going to be this. It's going to be this. And it's hard to get over those feelings while you wait, isn't it? And then, of course, you get an email from your doctor <laughs> telling you whatever it is. Waiting for God to answer that question, what do you want to change in me, may be one of the hardest things you ever do spiritually. It just, it just may be. Change in and of itself is a really intimidating concept for us. Uh, I mean, just looking at our new seating arrangement, that's very clear, right? That change is hard for us. Um, and and it's natural. It's natural for us to be uncomfortable with change. We have a, a puppy that we got back in December. Um, she's a little spitfire, by the way, if you haven't been around. Her name is Pepper. 
Um, we wanted to name her Rosie, but Rosie did not fit because she's not a Rosie. She's a pepper. Um, and one morning I came down and I put her food into her food bowl and her water into her water bowl. And I stepped away because at that time she was eating just voraciously. You know, you could hardly get the food in the bowl soon enough. And um, she's a little Chihuahua uh, uh, Yorkie Terrier mix, by the way. So I, I walk away from her food in her water bowl and she went over and sat down on the carpet and just stared at me. And I was like, what? And then she barked at me. And I said, what do you want? And she barked at me again. And I looked down at her bowl, because she seemed to be barking that direction, and usually her food bowl is on this side, and her water bowl is on this side. But that morning, they were in the wrong place. And she was not going to eat until I moved them back. <laughs> this is a true story. And we're in trouble. But besides that... Uh, so I moved them back, and guess what she did? Ran right up and ate her food. We do not like change. We don't like change. Now, there's lots of reasons why we don't like change. Change is uncomfortable, and it's particularly challenging when we start talking about the church or our own spiritual relationships with God. Uh, there have been times where just saying the word change has caused a church split. But here's what I think the core of it is. If something changes, and God, or God wants something to change, that must mean that the new is good, but the old is bad. I mean, otherwise, why would God ask us to change it? But I know how much I prayed about the old, how much of my heart I put into it. sure seemed like we were doing good things. And therefore, if God wants me to change it, it invalidates everything I did and put into those spiritual moments and tasks. Because change for us, our instinct is that change is not a good thing. That change is different and uncomfortable and we don't want to do that. And then we've done something even worse to you. We've asked you to wait. And when you have to wait on something, particularly if you've asked God to show you something or to help you understand what you need to change, there is a new element that comes in which is the unknown it's the unknown. What is it going to be? How is it going to work? What is it going to look like? How are we going to do it? Now, those of you who have spent any time with me in a meeting or anything else, you know that I am a planner. Uh, one of my favorite things in this church building, besides all of you and my children upstairs and all that, is my six-foot dry erase board in my office. Because I use that thing constantly. When I meet with people or talk with people or have a meeting, I can't help but just like get up and start like structuring things and drawing things. Um, if you thought I was weird before, you now probably have confirmed those thoughts. 
But I love to strategize and plan things out. I love to add structure and dimension where it did not exist. And therefore, the more I have planned about whatever it is we're doing as a church, the better it is I, the better I feel about that thing. Okay? The more I have planned for what we're going to do as a church, the better I feel about that thing. And let's be honest too. You guys are paying me to think that way. To plan, to put stuff together, to structure it and figure out how it works. But why do I feel better about that? I feel better about it because really, when I do all the planning and the structuring, what have I done? I have taken control of what it is that God is doing in us, through us, or for us. I have planned out the steps and how it will work, and the only question is, how effective will this be? And then under these circumstances, I'm more okay with change. Because what have I done? I've eliminated as much of the unknown as possible. But I'm convicted of something, and that is this. When I eliminate the unknown... I have eliminated the amount of room that God has to speak to me. It's a hard thing for me to say to you. Now, I'm not constant or consciously making those decisions, but I take control nonetheless. When it comes to talking about church and spiritual formation, we don't want to wait for God to speak to us. I mean, we love the concept and the idea. We really do. But the actual waiting is hard. Because if we ask God a question, what do we want? We want an answer. And when do we want that answer? And we read verses like, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. So what we expect is a knock and then what happens immediately? Boom! Open door. But what if God's taking a nap? What if you ask and God wants to consider the answer? What if you're seeking, but the answer that God wants you to get to is going to take some time for you to be able to understand what it is that God wants for you? What if God needs to make you wait on his doorstep until he knows it's time to open the door. Is that how we read those verses? I look back. This sermon, by the way, is part confessional, part testimony. I look back on all the times that I've been involved in this kind of process with a church, and I am afraid that every time I have done it, that... I did not spend enough time waiting. In fact, I think most of the time I prayed a prayer, came up with a plan, and then asked God to bless that plan. I was in such a hurry to come up with an answer to whatever it is I was trying to do for God that I never gave him the time he wanted to speak to me like he wanted to speak to me. Now, I want to be clear about something. 
It's not like nothing ever happened through what I've done in my ministry. And whatever you have done or worked on, it's not like nothing has ever happened in those times if you haven't waited on God. God has done some good things through what I've been involved with, through what you have been involved with, uh, either by giving me wisdom when I formed a plan or by fixing whatever it was I had messed up. God, after all, is the redeemer of all things. I don't want you to answer this question right now, but I do want you to consider this question. So I'm going to lay it out in front of you. And the question is this. What is it that you are afraid of happening as you seek the will of God? What is it that you are afraid will happen as you seek the will of God? Because whether we want to be or not, I bet that we are all afraid of something. when it comes to seeking what God really wants for us. If you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're not going to have any verses on the screen today. But we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 8. The people of Israel had journeyed toward the promised land. Then they had wandered. And a generation had passed on and now they came back to the river Jordan to cross over into Canaan, the place that God was giving to them. Moses is about to pass on and he's handing the reins of everything over to Joshua, who's going to be the next leader of the people of God. So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 8. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with the people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because God is with you wherever you go. 
There was really good reason for these words to be spoken on that day. The people of God, after years of wandering, were about to cross the river to take the land that God had for them. But the problem was that land was full of other people. People who had walls around their cities. People who had weapons and armies. Some of them could could ride out in battle against the Israelites. And when the Israelites first came and they saw these people, what did they think? There is no way we're going to succeed. While God was telling them, go, I will be with you and you will have all that you need. And so here they are again. They're standing on the edge of what is unknown. We don't know how this is going to go. They don't know what to do other than to follow God and cross the river. And God has said, I will be with you. So who is going to work everything out? God. But if God is going to work everything out, what does that require the people of Israel to do? They must trust that he will do that. And then they have to go and see what God is going to do. The instruction for the people of God was very simple. Be strong, courageous, do not be afraid. Because you have God with you. Therefore, I would ask the question, what did they have to be afraid of? I mean, if God is with them, if he's going before them, if he's taking them, what do they have to be afraid of? We know that the words that were spoken that day were true. When God's people trusted him, when God went before them, when they followed him, when they stepped out, God was with them. And God gave them victory over impossible things. Remember the first city they came to was what city? Who remembers? Jericho. How much work did they have to do to defeat Jericho? They had to walk. That's what they had to do to defeat the most fortified city in the area. Who did that for them? God did. And all they had to do was show up. But fear was a real problem. Often when the people of God encountered obstacles, when they saw normal people in their minds, they turned to giants. They were afraid and they were discouraged. And we saw it time and time again, didn't we? As we journeyed through the Old Testament. When the people of God became afraid and discouraged, what did they do? The first thing they did was seize control. They made a different choice. They chose a different God. They did a different thing than what God was very clearly telling them to do. And the moment that they seized control, gave in to their fear and worry, what happened? They lost whatever it was. Every single time, they lost whatever it was. Because their fear of what they did not yet know or understand pulled them away from the God who had promised He would always be with them. If they would walk with him, 
So there was only one reason why they lost and why God was not with them. It is because they pulled away from Him. And they let something else dominate the way that they saw their situation and what they were getting into. Fear. Outright fear. Causes us to act faithlessly. It does. It causes us to act faithlessly. And the story has shown that to us over and over again. God gave direction, resources, victory. But when his people became afraid, they acted faithlessly. As though God could no longer fix whatever it was that was going on. As if God could not defeat their enemies. As I've said to you multiple times over the last several weeks, I've been involved um, in sort of vision and planning and uh, looking forward in churches for a long time. And when we came back here almost three years ago, uh, I wanted things to be different with us than what I had experienced before. And I love this church so much. I... I love this church so much. Um, I love all of you so much. And for Nisha and I, coming back here was like coming home. I'm, literally, it was like coming home for us. I love who we are. I love the spirit of this place. I love how you care for one another. I love what you do. This I told you several weeks ago, there is nowhere else I want to be but here with you. And maybe heaven. Heaven probably before this. But here with you is a good one. But I also wanted something more for us. As much as I loved who we were at that time, I wanted something more. And I didn't know what that more was going to look like. I just knew that I wanted it. And I've told this to you before, but I have always wanted to be a part of something that is alive, dynamic, and thriving. That has energy to it. Because I'm a classically low-energy person, right? And so I need something with energy here to, to keep me going. So I've been involved with a lot of good and even great things, but for us in this place... At this time, I wanted something more than whatever the good or great things I've experienced. And I wanted more for you, too. That you would experience something new through God. I wanted, I wanted this something, again, not knowing what it was, to just undeniably reek of God. That people could just smell Him on us. And all along... I trusted that God would do something that he was going to lead us somewhere. So I preached patience to the leadership and that we needed to take our time. And take our time we did. But it was a good thing that we took our time because in my first year and a half, we stabilized ourselves a bit and we also went through some really difficult and hard transitions. And it was on coming out of those transitions last year that the leadership about 15 months ago had just come through a really difficult and heartbreaking time. And we started to ask some questions that we had been waiting on. 
Who are we and who does God want us to be? What are we about? And so we started having conversations about this. And whenever uh, the elders would start to bring up, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it, I would always stop them. And I would tell them, we're not asking those questions yet. Because in my mind, we couldn't answer those questions. What are we going to do and how are we going to do it if we first didn't have a strong understanding of who God wanted us to be and what he was going to be calling us to. So we prayed, we explored, we studied, we got outside help, and about eight months later, this is the first piece that fell into place. Did you hear that? How long? Eight months later. This is the first piece that fell into place. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. This is unlike any vision statement I have ever helped write for a church. And it's unlike any vision statement I've read for a church. And some of you are probably experiencing that as well. (laughs) This sounds weird and different. Um... But this is what God led us to, that God is calling us to be a place of transformation. So from there, for the next several months, we worked on the values, what we believe God wants us to focus on. We prayed more, we studied more, we ran it by uh, some different people um, outside of the church, inside the church. And here's the crazy thing that we have done that I, don't, that I know has driven some of you crazy. Um, we are still not ask, asking or answering the question of what we are going to do and how we are going to do it. And I know that drives some of you nuts. It drives you nuts because, as churches, that's what we like to jump to. The answer. It's what I've always done. What are we going to do and how are we going to do it? But we did this for one simple reason. We put those two questions aside. I came to believe that we needed to ask God to tell us what he wanted us to do, and then we needed to wait for him to actually speak to us. And I did not want the elders and I to sit in a room and just talk about what we thought would work. We're not that smart. You are in that we, my friend. (laughs) And I came to believe that it was the waiting that was going to make the difference between what we are doing now and everything else I'd experienced before. I was going to ask and then I would wait. We as a church would ask and then we would wait. Now, let me tell you really quick about my biggest fear. It's not sharks, though I am terribly afraid of sharks. My biggest fear is failure. Um, I worry about failing. I worry about letting you down. I worry about letting my family down. I worry that something I, <clears throat> excuse me, something I do or say or come up with is just going to bomb. I worry about that. There's a lot of weight being in the place where the elders and I are. 
And we take it gladly because we believe that God has called us to this place. But the pressure I put on myself is that if I fail, it could mean something drastic for someone's faith. And I've been told those kinds of stories before. My preacher did this, and that's why I no longer believe in God. My minister said this, and that's why I no longer believe in God. But here's the thing. As I started embracing this idea of asking God and waiting for him, that idea started to sink down into my heart, and I came to this realization. If I ask God and I wait for him, what will happen? If I ask God and I wait for him, what will happen? God will answer. Amen? God will answer. And so, if I ask God and wait for him and God is going to answer me, if God is going to put something on my heart, if God is going to go before me and give me everything I need, then what do I have to be afraid of? And even if I fail, God is capable of redeeming whatever it is that I do. So what do I have to be afraid of? Nothing. God is capable of anything. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I don't know how you've read this passage before, but within our current context, it says something new to me. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. And here it comes. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. 
Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Passage that we have read many times, right? But understand what the writer here is saying. The very premise of this passage is that God is what? God is love. How do we know that God is love? Because Jesus came and died for us. In fact, this is how we know what love even is. Because Jesus came and died for us. God is love and God's love for us is perfect. He has redeemed us, sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our friends or for our sins. And so, because this perfect love is in our life and because God has redeemed us, it does something that is very important for us. It drives out fear. Why does God's love drive out fear? Why? It's perfect. Why else? What's that? No doubt. Why else? He guarantees success. Because what has God already done? He's fixed your failures. He's already taken care of that. And therefore, he says, fear has to do with punishment. But in Jesus, what happened to your punishment? Jesus took it. So that death no longer has a hold on you. You get to be with God. Therefore, what should you fear? Failure? God already has it. Dying? You just get to go be with God sooner. What do you have to be afraid of? The love of God drives out the fear in our lives. Because we literally have nothing to be afraid of. So God, what do you want me to change? Well, I've got good news. Whatever it is that God wants me to change, it's going to be better than whatever it is I'm doing right now. Because God wants me to live in His love and to have this victorious life. And so, yeah, He may say that I need to change something. But whatever that change needs to be, it is going to be better than whatever it is I'm doing before. So what do I have to be afraid of? God always has new places for us to go, right? We are always learning. We are always growing. We are always becoming. So therefore, why are we afraid of taking the next step to whatever God wants to make us? Whatever God has for us is better. What if God says, keep doing this? Awesome! Let's work harder at it. What if God says stop doing that? Okay, then God, what do we do instead? Whatever God has for us is better. And this, so what am I afraid of? Asking him to show me what he wants to make better. 
Is God good? Does he love us? Will he give us all that we need? Then what are we afraid of? Now, all I needed to sort of round this out was some sort of confirmation that we were on the right track. Um, And when you're doing what God wants you to do, there are a couple of ways that you receive confirmation. One of them is things start to fall into place and work and click and it's, it's like happening. Uh, another way is, who knows what the second way is. It's on the negative side. You, you come under attack from Satan. If you're doing what God wants you to do, you get confirmation in a lot of ways, but you also come under attack. There are two primary ways to attack me. Um, the first one is depression, um, which I, as you know, I'm highly susceptible to. And the second one is to make me feel bad physically. I've kind of, I'm always tired. I, you know, sap my energy, make me feel bad. And if you can do those two things for me, make me depressed and sap all my energy and however I feel, you know, out of the situation, then I'm afraid and discouraged. So let me tell you about what has been happening in my life uh, since uh, two weeks before I was going to start presenting all this to you. Two weeks before uh, I was going to start presenting this to you, well, actually three weeks before, I hurt my wrist playing basketball. Um, The next week, which was two weeks before, uh, I was putting together some furniture and stuff, and I played basketball again that week, and I hurt my elbow. And I hurt so bad, like I couldn't lift things. Um, And then my left elbow started hurting. So I had tennis elbow or tendonitis in both elbows. My left wrist is still hurting. And then this finger and this joint and this joint all started to get stiff to the point where I couldn't open a water bottle or it hurt pretty bad to open a water bottle. And then my hip, my left hip started to hurt. And it would get really stiff when it used to not uh, do that. And so I had made an appointment uh, to see the doctor on the Sunday. This is true. I looked all this up on the calendar. I went to see the doctor um, during the week before the Sunday that I was going to present our vision statement for the first time. Uh, He ordered x-rays and blood tests, and he saw some things in the blood tests that he was concerned about. So he ordered me to go see a rheumatologist on the next Monday. So between that Thursday and that Monday, I got up in front of you and I presented our vision statement for the first time. I went to see uh, the the rheumatologist on that Monday and um, as I'm getting ready to introduce our first value and he did a bunch of tests on me and um, and here's what he told me pretty quickly. He said, uh, the first thing he said is, you have fibromyalgia. And then the second thing he said is, And yes, you also have rheumatoid arthritis. So he said, you're on the front end of the rheumatoid arthritis. Let's start treating it now. We can get ahead of this. Um, And then for, you know, the fibromyalgia, we can try this and this. So my, my whole body was in pain and stiff. And I was prescribed three new medications. I was already taking more than I wanted to. And guess what happened to me? I got depressed. It's, it's, you just, when you can't 
do what you just normally would do. I had to take my backpack off in a weird way. Like I had to like kind of swing my shoulder out of it somehow. And um, But I presented our first value. The next week, I continued to not feel well as I was writing the Grow Sermon. And I felt like the Grow Sermon was really important. And so I spent a lot of time on it. I, I prayed about it. And last Saturday night, I was sick as a dog who was really sick. And I was up all night and my stomach was upset. And I, I thought about at two o'clock in the morning, like, do I send Ron an email now? Just saying that I can't make it. But I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to see how this goes. And so I went back to sleep and I got up and I came in for praise team practice and I just felt awful. I felt awful. And I picked up the microphone to start singing and um, my hand and my elbow started to hurt enough that I had to switch hands. And then that started to hurt enough that I had to put the microphone on a stand because I couldn't hold it. And so I'm talking to Ron and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's, well, he's like, pray about it. I'm praying about it. So we're praying that God is going to work this out for us. And I got up and I did uh, the introduction and that went fine. Uh, I was so tired. Um, but I kept praying that God would help me with this. And so when it came time for the sermon, I brought out, uh, as I did today, I brought out a stand and a stool just in case I had to sit down because I wasn't sure I could stand the whole time. And before I got up to preach, I was looking at my notes and I really wasn't happy with my introduction. Uh, the introduction they had written just, it seemed, it just wasn't right. But it was time to go. So this is what happened. The first 10 minutes of my sermon last week were not planned. I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't, wasn't even really sure what I wanted to say. And yet, the exact words that I needed came out of my mouth. The exact thing I wanted you to hear came out of my mouth. Things that I did not know how to say yet. And not only that, but as I was saying them, the next thought was lining up in my head. Just one after another. One after another. And you would never notice this, but I did because I went back and listened to it again because I don't remember totally what I said. I slowed down. And I just told you whatever it was that God told me to say. Now, I would like to believe that that's happened a lot. That I have said the things that God has told me to tell you. But here's what I want you to hear from this. I was extremely weak last week. Very, very weak. Um, when I talked to people after church, I sat down most of the time when I was talking to them. But I asked God and he gave me everything I needed and the things that I didn't know I needed. I was a mess uh, this week. I was so tired coming into the week and I'm trying to adjust to the pain and the medication and all these different things. And I had zero energy and Tuesday night we had a leadership meeting and I have to share this with you. 
we were talking about our next value, which is the give value. And we were talking about what something might look like within the give value because we're trying to see how do we apply these principles. We're working on this. And so we're talking about this and how we apply these principles, it's the elders and I, and we're just kind of getting to this point where um, we're still talking about it, but we're not coming to a conclusion that we need. It's not being wrapped up in a way that makes sense. Uh, so I said to the elders, I said, well, let's, let's go back and look at the statement that we wrote that describes this value. So we went back and we looked at the statement that we wrote six months ago that describes the value. And do you know what happened? It answered all of our questions. And we wrote it six months ago, not even knowing we were going to ask this question and not having yet asked it. We learned something from what we wrote. That's bananas, people. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a little crazy. Wednesday, through prayer, study, and conversations, God made so many things clear to me. I was making important connections that I hadn't made before. I called Misha about five because I was supposed to be coming home, and I couldn't because there was too much to say. Like my mind was just in this place that I haven't experienced very often, if ever, where God was just making things clear to me. And then, of course, like a dummy, I went ahead and tried to write the sermon that was supposed to come this Sunday. <laughs> Until I finally realized that this is what God wanted me to tell you. We asked God for direction. And God has given it to us. And I believe we are on the right track. Not only that, but I have come to believe that what we are doing is alive. It doesn't sit on a piece of paper or a dry erase board somewhere. It's alive and God is forming it and making it as we wait for him. I don't know how else to explain that we just learned from a statement we wrote six months ago if it's not alive. And while normally this whole shaping might scare us and cause fear to show its face, in this case, it's an amazing thing. Because I want you to know what this leadership has done that no other leadership I've been involved with in this process has done. We want you to ask God and to be a part of of the listening and the waiting so that together, together we become who God wants us to be. Not who I tell you who we should be or who the elders tell you this is who we should be. We want to discover it together. And we're doing that on purpose. So we shouldn't be afraid you know what we should be? Excited. This is Bryce excited. Arms crossed. <laughs> Half a smile. 
is what it looks like. Take a picture if you need to. Church, this is an exciting time for us. Is God good? Will he go with us wherever? Yes. If we follow him, will he give us direction? When we need, will he give us what we need to do what it is that he wants us to do? Don't need to ask that again because no one said anything. Good, then for heaven's sake, let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid. Let's fight whatever Satan is throwing in front of us, trying to stop us. And let's in turn get excited about what God is going to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are a God who gives us what we need, that you go with us, that when we ask, you will answer us. God, we want to know what to do. And in our fear and anxiety, God, we sometimes rush through that. But Father, we want to wait on you. That we're not in such a rush that we miss what it is that you're telling us. God, you may tell us to change something. God, you may tell us to keep something the same. God, you may point us in a way we didn't think we could go. God, you may point us back to something. But God, may we not be afraid to hear what your answer is. Because we don't want to be a church that follows ourselves. We want to be a church that follows you. And your love drives out fear. So God, we rebuke that fear in us today. We rebuke the anxiety. We recognize the ways that we are fighting for this. So God, give us the strength and the energy and the passion to fight for the most simple thing you have called us to, to ask you to listen, to wait, and to trust that you are a good God who will bless us. We want to be yours. We want to be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayer or encouragement this morning, you want to plug into this God who loves you in an amazing way, a way that is indescribable, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.